Hello, and welcome to All the Gospel, a sermon podcast from Kirksville Assembly of God. We are happy to have you as a part of our listening community. Thank you for joining us as we explore the Word together. We're in Genesis chapter 18 and 19 today. The more I read and studied, the more I looked at these two things, the more I thought about how these stories really just go together. Go back to the uh, desert screen real quick. Um, the Because like two chapters of Genesis is huge, so I got a lot to say, um, and I'll try to do my best uh, to get us out of here at a reasonable time. But uh, the more I thought about this, the more I thought about how our world is changing dramatically. We have drastic changes in our world around us, and sometimes, well, and, and so think like big world, Big world globalization, uh, we have political, social, cultural, economic changes that are all happening around us uh, on a big picture scale. We've also got in our personal lives, uh, our personal worlds, we are at the cusp of a big change. Uh, Truman students are coming back this week. Some are already here, uh, and that's a big, that's thousands of more people in our community. You can feel them being here. Uh, school starts up for thousands of people in our small community this week. Well, actually, next week for public schools. Um, and some are already in session, homeschools and things like that. Uh, so personal worlds are experiencing this. We have health changes. There are family changes that happen to us. We live in a rapidly changing world. And the more I thought about these stories with, with um, Abraham and Sarah and Lot, the more that kind of struck me uh, about what's going on. And it, because it's hard to know how to react to all these changes. A lot of time when things change, the initial reaction is fear. And I don't know that that's right for us as believers. Fear should not be a reaction that we experience. So we've got to do two stories. You'll probably want to go home and read 18 and 19 again. Get the two pictures together of these stories. I do believe they go together. The author's trying to do something there, but there's a lot in this sermon. So just real quick overview of what's happening. The world is changing drastically for Abraham and for Lot in these, in these stories here. Uh, and, and so as that's happening, Yahweh appears to Abraham, he appears to Sarah, he appears to Lot. Each of them handle his appearance differently in these stories. So we're going to look at what Yahweh does, we'll look at how the person responds, and then the overall result of what happens uh, in accordance to that. Our key verse, this Wesley you could put up, uh, Yahweh is looking for people to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. This is Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him, Yahweh talking, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So just real quick on this one verse to define some terms because it'll be helpful going forward in the, in the sermon. This is all, it's a big introduction. I don't usually do introductions. This is a big one. Um, keep. Hebrew word is shamar. It means to maintain. To keep, to maintain the way, which is Hebrew. The Hebrew word is derek. I don't know. Just derek. Shamar, derek. Keep the way. So like journey or the manner. Maintain the manner of Yahweh. 
the, the course of life of the Lord. So like last time uh, in the last sermon I did, we talked about walking before the Lord. This would fit into the same category as Christians. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about walking with or following Jesus in the Christian imagination. That's what we're talking about here. Righteousness, the Hebrew word sadaka. If anybody speaks Hebrew, I'm sorry. I'm from Missouri. So righteousness is treating people and God rightly according to God's way. So when you see righteousness, you could put the golden rule. Like that's righteousness. The golden rule is righteousness. And justice, uh, mishpat is the word, and for our purposes, making good decisions would be justice. Like making good decisions about other people and things, the law, things like that. Making good decisions. So let's let's open in prayer, then we'll dive into the, the meat of the scripture today. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together to read your word, Lord, about a guy who lived 4,000 years ago and about the Savior and how it still applies to us today. Lord, we remember in prayer Blytha and Doc Flynn and Mar- Marilyn, Ron and Linda and others who have health needs and are going through health changes in their lives. And Lord, we pray for the changes that are happening in, the, in, our, in our schools uh, really soon in the next couple of weeks. And God, we, we pray that you prepare us for those. And Lord, Holy Spirit, prepare us today to receive your word. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Lord appears. We're going to read uh, verse chapter 18, verse 1, uh, and then I'll skip. We'll talk about Abraham, Sarah, and Lot. So we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. But 18.1, and the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre. He's been sitting there since like chapter 15. As he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, so it's like afternoon, He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant." So they said to Abraham, do as you have said. Just a quick pause there. We're going to go to verse 9. It is a complex portrayal of God here as three persons. So there's a couple ways you can look at that, like God in three persons, uh, like Blessed Trinity style. Um, Or what you could have is like a picture of Christophany, appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, with two angels. I'm just going to leave that, put that in a little Ziploc bag, a little fold-up styrofoam case, take that home, uh, open that up for lunch. That's a little doggy bag for you. You can snack on that later. So uh, now verse 9, that was the appearance to Abraham. Verse 9, they said to him, where, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, uh, she's in the tent. Okay, so that's Sarah. Now go to chapter 19. Verse 1 through 3. We're going to get all these guys together here. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Timeline, like all the same day. We're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah later. Not today, later time. And next week. And Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. And Lot, when he saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please 
turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But Lot pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. A lot of eating here. So let's look at these three people. I thought it'd be fun to kind of grade them in our head versus the, uh, the verse that we read about keeping the way of the Lord. So Abraham ran and bowed before Yahweh in his story. Now, pause for a second. Remember, Abraham is 99 years old. He is 99 years old, and he sees these three men coming, and he runs to them. And he's probably rich. Uh, well, he's definitely rich, so he's probably well-fed. So you got this well-fed 99-year-old man get up and run and bow before the Lord here. He honors God then also by preparing a meal and doing all this stuff so they can rest. So that picture is in our head. I'm going to give Abraham an A plus for keeping the way. Like this is right. He's treating God rightly here. Okay. Then um, let's go with Lot real quick. Lot, this is 19.1. Lot rose to meet them and bowed. So there's a difference. Abraham ran, Lot rose. Still like, oh, I'm going to stand up in the presence of the Lord. He bows, uh, convinces him to stay at his house, fixes a meal, does all that stuff as well. I am not sure what to make of Lot, um, like saying, don't stay in the town square. You know, Lot knows why. Bad things will happen. So come to my house. It's safer there. Um, so I'm going to give Lot a B for keeping the way of the Lord. He didn't let those angels go where they wanted to go. He diverted them. Maybe it was okay. Maybe it's not. I'm going to give him a B. Not a big deal. Sarah, in 18.9, where was Sarah? She was in the tent. She was in the tent. Now, she helped fix the meal, but she stayed in the tent. So I'm going to give Sarah a C for keeping the way of the Lord. Just an average response to Yahweh there. She didn't, like, run away. She could hear him. You know, she fixed him some meals. So she was there in the tent. And I think just right here we can ask a few questions about what we do when Jesus appears. We can ask ourselves some questions. Maybe, maybe we're like Abraham, and man, when Jesus appears, we are running, and we're going to bow and worship, and we're going to give what we've got to Jesus. Or maybe we're more like Lot. We'll stand up, but then we kind of try to get Yahweh, whoa, like, Yahweh, you don't want to go there. You don't want to do that. Come here and do this with me instead. So maybe we're a little more like Lot where it's like, I want to try to, I'm going to stand, I'm going to show respect, but I'm going to try to get Yahweh to do my thing or Jesus to do my thing instead. Or maybe we're more like uh, Sarah and we just stay in the tent. We're there, but just in the tent. And I say all of these with no condemnation, you know, because we're all at different places. And my hope is you all keep inviting people to church who maybe are not even in the tent yet. And so I, want to, I don't want to condemn people for where they at on any point in their walk with the Lord because we're all at different places. And everyone, everyone would be welcome here even if, they'd in, if they're in the tent. If you're in the tent, they don't even know Jesus. They'd be, out, they'd be in Sodom. They'd be outside the tent. Um, but we have to ask ourselves these questions. How do I respond? What do I do with it? We want to look, too, at what the Lord said. So he appeared, and they responded. Then he said to them some words. So uh, 18, chapter 18, verse 16, we're going to start with Abraham. 
and what Yahweh says. First, Yahweh has this really interesting conversation with himself. There are three of him, so he's talking amongst himself. Uh, then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them uh, to set them on their way. Side note, Abraham walking with the Lord is what that is talking about. Verse 17, the Lord said to himself, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing, I mean, that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That's the promise from chapter 12. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised. So that's the question Yahweh is asking himself. Should I hide this? The answer is in 20. Then the Lord said, so the answer is no, Yahweh's not going to hide it. He's going to tell Abraham. Then the Lord said to Abraham, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know this outcry, another little side note here, this outcry is a hyperlink. Click on it. It takes you right back to Genesis chapter 3 and the murder of Abel and the blood of Abel cries out to God from the land. This is about oppression and injustice that's happening in the place. And oppression and injustice cries out to God. And in this case, he's going to go down and check to see whether it is what it is. And so in this, that's another hyperlink. When does God go down and check on something? The Tower of Babel. They're building this tower. He's like, I'm going to go down and see what's going on down there. He's like, yep, it's bad. Off they go. So two hyperlinks. So we've got this talk. Um, Yahweh amongst themselves. Then Abraham's response is really fascinating. And it's worth reading a few times over and over to get a sense of it. We don't have time to do that here. So I'll just set you up for that. So he told him, look, it's going to be bad. I'm going to check and see how it's going. Abraham knew how it was going in Sodom, not good. So the men turned from there in verse 22 and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still, still stood before the Lord. So two of them went off. Abraham stood before Yahweh. Yahweh went, two angels, it says in 19, went towards. And Abraham started to talk to Yahweh. He says, are you really going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Yahweh's like, yeah, that's what I said. And, and so Abraham in verse 24, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked do. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham is having a discussion here with God about righteousness and justice. It's really cool. He works his way down. He negotiates with God all the way down to 10. What if there's 10? Will you destroy it for 10? And God's like, I won't destroy it if there's 10. God, infinite knowledge, knows there are not 10 people in Sodom who are righteous. Or he's going to check it out. Anyways, we could say that. He knows there's not. He's checking it out. 
but he can talk with Abraham. This is, I think, the key. He is in conversation with Abraham, and Abraham is in conversation with God about what is righteousness and what is justice. We don't get that idea from the world. We get that idea from God. God, what's your righteousness? What's your justice, and how do we fulfill that in the earth? And I will point out also, Abraham is negotiating on the behalf of other people. He is not negotiating on the behalf of himself. He's not trying to get anything out of this. He's trying to preserve the name of the Lord. The judge of the world shouldn't do anything unjust, God. And God's like, okay, I'm not. Um, And they have that conversation. Abraham becomes in this situation by... By negotiating on the behalf of other people, he becomes what we call a righteous intercessor. To intercede is to act uh, on behalf of someone else. To intercede, to act on behalf of someone else. And a righteous intercessor, Abraham fits this role of righteous so that he can intercede for the people of Sodom on their behalf to God. This, by the way, is the role Jesus plays and does a way better job than Abraham does, by the way. Jesus is the righteous intercessor, the the true and better righteous intercessor. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf because we are not good enough. Jesus sits and says, what if there is 50 righteous? What if there's 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? And Jesus sits and prays. He commands us to do the same thing, to pray for our enemies and those who persecute us in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Intercede for those people who persecute you. We're interceders. We get involved with other people on their behalf to try to make sure that they are uh, treated with righteousness and justice. So, Abraham gets another A+. Plus for keeping the way. Good job, Abraham. Let's go to Sarah. In verse 10, so we know they ask, where's Sarah? She's in the tent. Verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the door behind him. So at least Sarah was listening to God. She was in the tent. She was listening to God. But then, verse 12, Lost it. There it is. So Sarah laughed to herself. Oh, Sarah, what are you doing? Uh, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah... Sarah, still in the tent, still listening to the Lord, denied laughing. I didn't laugh, she called out from the you know, tent, uh, saying, I did not laugh, for she was, here it is, afraid. She was afraid. Why didn't she go out from the tent? She was afraid. Why did she laugh? She was afraid. Why did she deny it? Because she was in trouble for laughing, and she was afraid. So Sarah denies it. Uh, and then Yahweh says, no, you did laugh into conversation. She didn't. Abraham had laughed before. Remember that? Abraham laughed, but also bowed. So it was like a stretching of his faith. Sarah just laughs. There's no worship here. There's just some doubt going on. 
She was afraid of Yahweh. She didn't trust him. It's probably why she stayed in the tent. Uh, and so I'm going to give her a D minus on keeping the way. I'm not going to fail her. I'm going to explain why in a second. It's not a failure, but a D minus. There's room for growth. Lot rose, but he doesn't do much else. Go to chapter 19, verse 12. I know we're jumping all over. It's two chapters. It's massive. I apologize. But it's with the Lord, so take it up with him. Then the Lord said to Lot, so Lord again speaking to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone, anyone you have in this city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry against its people has become so great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So that's that's what they say. The angels say that. What is Lot's response? So, verse 14, Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, good job, he did it, okay, A for effort. He goes and tells them, uh, who are to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. He was joking, seemed to be joking. So, A for effort, D for execution. Whatever happened there, it didn't work. Whatever he said was not convincing to them. And so the sons-in-law actually get destroyed. But there's more for Lot in verse 15. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, so again, the angels say to Lot, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. So there's what they said. This is Lot's response. But Lot lingered. But Lot lingered. He lingered. He was stuck. He was like, he was in his old life. This is what I'm comfortable with. And as the world is changing around him, God is trying to get Lot to change. Like, come on, you've got to go. You can't stay where you are. You can't stay how you've been. We've got to get out of here. Lot lingers. He's resisting God. He's resisting God for an idol. We always resist God for idols. What are Lot's idols? Comfort and familiarity. He doesn't want to leave what he's used to. My house, my PlayStation, my newspapers. Some of you might still do newspapers. My book collection. You know, I don't want to leave all this stuff. God. And so he's looking back. The angel men in... So he lingered in verse 16. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, dragged Lot and his family kicking and screaming out of Sodom because the Lord is merciful. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So they drag him out so he wouldn't get destroyed. But don't stop there. It gets worse. I really struggled with Lot. Now, this is a side note. I struggled with Lot. I was ready to be like, there wasn't even one righteous person in Sodom. Not one. I, we're going to read the part about what Sodom, what Lot offers to the men of the city. He offers his daughters to the men of the cities, and that, that just ticked me off. I do not like Lot. But I'm stuck because in 2 Peter, Peter calls Lot righteous Lot. Righteous Lot. And that ticked me off too. Like, Peter, how can you call this jerk righteous? 
you know, the Bible doesn't always agree with what we think. And I, had, I struggled with that. That's why I couldn't give Sarah an F for lying to God. I wanted to. And like Lot, I was like, just, Angel, just leave him in the city. Just like, he, you can play your PlayStation and be destroyed by some sulfur. Fire and brimstone, your PlayStation and you, if you don't want to get up and go. That's maybe more the way I operate than God. But God is in communication with Lot here. So it gets worse. He tells him, he brought him out, and basically for time, in verse 18, he says, go live in the hills. Get out of the valley altogether and go live in the hills. Who's in the hills? Abraham, his family. Okay, so go live in the hills. Lot's like, whoa, God, okay, so you've been nice to me, but I can't go live in the hills. I'm a city boy. I'm a city boy. Let me go stay in this little city named Zoar, which means little city. I'm going to go live in this little city, Zoar, and the angels are like, okay, fine. But don't look back. Don't look back. So there's a negotiation that's happening here between Lot and the angels and with God as well. They're negotiating. And if I was God, I would have smacked Lot and left him. But God is like, okay, fine. You don't have to go to the hills. You can go to the city. I think this is where, I, I think this is where Lot fails. He's a, he's a, Abraham's a righteous intercessor. Lot is, Peter calls him righteous. He's interceding on his own behalf. I don't want to go live in the hills and like caves and stuff, God. No way. Give me a city to go stay in. He got rescued. God rescued him from the destruction coming to Sodom. And he's like, he couldn't give his old life up completely. He couldn't go live in a totally different way. He wanted to keep some of that old lifestyle for himself. And I think this was Lot's problem. He couldn't give his life completely over to God's plan. He did do well. Let's give him credit. He did do well recognizing and honoring God and communicating with God through, through this whole time. They had a relationship, and that's what's good about this. Everybody's in a different place on their walk, but Lot serves as a warning. When push came to shove, he couldn't convince anyone else. He couldn't convince his sons-in-laws to leave because I don't think Lot was fully convinced himself. Why did he linger? I don't think he was fully convinced that destruction was coming. He believed, but like, I'm kind of torn. And this is the problem. He lingered in his own life. He negotiated to keep part of his old life, but in a smaller way, a smaller city, a smaller lifestyle. So he promised, maybe, maybe think about this for us. We'll only hate people who deserve it, okay? So like, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to not hate anybody except people who deserve it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to only get drunk once in a while. I'm only going to look at porn a little bit, you know, maybe just a less extreme version. Or I'm only going to gossip when it's helpful or a prayer request. I'm going to only be a busybody when those people really need my help. Those are all from Paul. I'm not picking on anybody. Those are just things we do. And oh, by the way, God, I can't give up my cell phone, my soap operas, or my sweet treats. So those things are off limits because I've got a sweet tooth you wouldn't believe. And he couldn't fully commit to a new life. He, he, so he's going to go to church, but he's going to go to church when he feels like it. You know, he's going to go to a small group, but when he's not busy. 
Here's the thing about our society. We are always busy. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Some of you are retired. You're still busy. So don't pretend. <laughs> We're all busy. We're all busy. Maybe, maybe what we need to do is develop a, a spirituality of subtractivity, of subtraction. Maybe removing some things out of our lives that are no longer helpful and are just busying us. Um, busyness is a demon. I am certain of it. Okay, off track. As a result of Lot's behavior, other people get destroyed. Other people get destroyed. His sons-in-law get destroyed. His wife gets destroyed. He negotiated to stay in the valley. I think they could have watched from the hills. Abraham does later. It's in there. Read it later. But they were in the valley still. The sin wasn't looking back necessarily. The sin was the negotiation that left them where they weren't supposed to be. And she looked back and got destroyed. Because Lot negotiated. He just didn't listen to God. He wanted to get something else out of it. God still showed Lot mercy. It blows my mind. I was like, God, just bomb Zoar too with some hellfire or brimstone. And, is it hellfire? feel uncomfortable with that. Um, so anyways, moving on. God showed lot mercy. Or maybe we're like Sarah. We don't know what to do when Jesus comes near. We hang back in the tent. We do, we're a hundred years old too. She's a hundred, give her credit. Okay. So she's just in the tent. She does a good job. Okay. She's doing a good job with the stuff she's comfortable with. Abraham comes rushing in. Sarah, God's here. Make some cake. So she makes some cake. She's comfortable with that. She can do that job. But when he tells us to do something that is outside of our comfort zone, that's outside of our tent, that's when, that's when we laugh. That's when we doubt God. Because we don't believe we can. Maybe, maybe it was society. Maybe women did stay in the tent when men showed up, but this was God. I believe Sarah could have charged right out there and plopped down next to Abraham. Would have been fine with God. Maybe not society. Maybe there's some other things holding people back. But we don't believe we can for whatever reason, or we don't trust Jesus, or we're afraid of what he's telling us to do. And that was kind of what the Spirit was talking to me, too, about, the, uh, about what's going on. It's like, we are afraid of God, which is good, but we're so afraid that we don't actually want to get close because he is terrifying. He's big. We don't know what to expect. He's, he's, he could mess up our whole life, our familiarity and our comfort. Then we lie to ourselves about the, our unbelief and our lack of faith. We say, well, okay, that wasn't God speaking to me. That was just my mind coming up with crazy ideas. Or that was just Pastor Sean suggesting I should do something crazy because that's what he does. Or... Um, and so we, we start to lie to ourselves, and we do not keep the way of the Lord. We don't go beyond what we can do to what needs our faith to accomplish. There are four groups here. we got Abraham, Sarah, Lot. There's a fourth group, the destroyed. Lot's wife, Lot's sons-in-laws, and all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were all destroyed. It really bothered me that Lot's wife was the one that got destroyed. Like if, I, I struggled with that. I was like, why'd she get destroyed? That's not fair. Like, God, you let Lot, like, get away with all this other stuff. Like, oh, I don't want to live in the hills. Like, okay, fine. Go to Zohar. Like, I'm going to linger. And you're like, okay, fine. But she turns around one time. Poof. Pillar of salt. 
I'm like, what in the world? I kind of felt like Abraham there where he was like, far be it from you, the judge of all the earth, to do what is unjust. I kind of felt that way. But then I got to thinking about it. What was different about Lot's, Lot's wife? What was different about uh, the sons-in-laws? They had no communicating relationship with God. There is no evidence that Lot's wife asked, hey, do you mind if once we get there, we like peek through a curtain at the destruction? The angels? I, I think in the pattern of the story, they would have been like, one time. You can only look one time. But she doesn't ask. She doesn't talk to God. There's no relationship there between her and God. The sons-in-law? Lot goes. Lot's a prophet. Lot's Jeremiah. Lot's like, hey, the city's going to be destroyed. And they're like, ah, <laughs> this is a good one. Oh, dad-in-law Lot. You got us again, man. Get out of here. We'll see you at Christmas. Um, so this is... That's the difference. They don't believe God. They don't have a relationship with God, and they get destroyed as a result. But there is good news. There is good news. Jesus made the way for us to have that communicating relationship with God. That those people in Sodom, Lot blew that one too. He was not like being a minister or anything else. He knew they were awful people and not like, hey, guys. There's an almighty God that we should, you know, maybe honor by not being sodomites and performing sodomy um, all the time. So there is a way. Jesus made a way for us, the way, not a way, the way. Jesus made the way for us to have a communicating relationship with God. We don't have to stay in our old life of sin, despair, anger, frustration, loneliness, and hopelessness. We don't have to stay in Sodom. He made the way. His mercy is available. The mercy, but mercy is not permission to stay where you are. We see that in the story. It was a mercy that those angels snatched up Lot and drug him out of the city. It's sometimes a mercy to slap you around to get you going, to say, look, you got to go. You cannot stay where you are, how you are, doing the things you do. You've got to go. And that's easy. We're easily pick like, oh, you know, because we're trying to help people who are in like drug addiction and those things to say, yeah, you got to come on out of that. But sometimes older people who've been Christians for like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years get stuck in our ways and it just develops its own corruption, its own stink because it's stagnant. And God is like, get out of there. Get out of that place. Get moving. You got to grow. This is a journey. Keep the way. Maintain the manner, the course of life. Walk with Jesus. Don't stand with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. It's a journey. It's a pathway. And we've got to go. We've got to grow. And he makes that all available for us. Thank you. Jesus came to get us out of the evil lifestyle. He came to get us out of the tent. He came so that uh, we can walk with him. We can walk the way with him. You know, the early church was first called the way. Not even Christians. Christians was like an insult kind of word. that were like, oh, that's cool. You know how they do. Um, the way. People who followed the way. So we could walk the, the way with him and help us grow in him by and with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. 
Jesus is the true and better righteous intercessor. He's able to save. This is Hebrews 7. I've got that. We can put that up. He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He saves those who draw near to God through him. He's doing the whole thing. He's got to draw near since he always lives to make intercession for them, those who draw near, for us, those who have drawn near. I couldn't fail Sarah because she was still near God. She was just in the tent. She was just in the tent. He still intercedes. His work on the cross saves us from sin. His spilled blood is our escape route from the bad life of sin and death to a good life of love and relationship with God. His life is the example for the way. How we are supposed to walk with God and do righteousness and justice. How we are to keep the way. So, as we wrap this up, As your world changes around you, we already define that. We already know it's changing for all of us. Big world and probably even little world. As your world changes around you, keep the way of God and do righteousness and justice. It starts with a communicating relationship with God. It starts there. You don't have to know how to pray. It might be like, God, I don't know how to pray. Are you listening? Um, you know, it doesn't, it, it's just about communication. God told Lot then to go live in the hills. Now, I'm not telling you go live in the hills. Some of you already do. Um, but <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's, it's, it's not about the city versus the country. You know, this is about a complete change of your lifestyle, of your way of living from the old corrupt evil life Two, keeping the way of the Lord. New habits, new routines, new lifestyle. For example, making a commitment to come to Sunday school or Wednesday night for the adult Bible engagement project is going to be a habit that you have to form to get back on time. And if you can't make that, you can't make a Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but you can do a Tuesday afternoon. We can talk about starting your own. Maybe it's inviting Maybe it's inviting a literal neighbor over for dinner so that you can have a communication with an unbeliever. Maybe it's increasing your spiritual habits of praying and scripture reading. And you do some, but you know you need to do a little bit more. There's no shame. Start where you are and grow because mercy does not give you permission to stay where you are. And be encouraged today because God will fulfill his promise. Like Sarah, she, could, she and Abraham could not do the promise that God had like to have a son. They couldn't do it anymore. God will fulfill his promise because you cannot. He's like, God, I can't do this. He's like, I know, Sean. That's what I'm here for. Trust in me. You are not strong enough. You are not good enough to keep the way of the Lord. This is not about effort. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. Lot was a jerk, but at least he talked to God. Sarah was a little better, and Abraham was pretty awesome. And they all were okay because they talked to God. So you might be a jerk. Stop it. You know, stop being a jerk. But we start where we are. We communicate with God, and the Holy Spirit changes us. The Holy Spirit changes us. 
So, as we finish this up, Jackson, you feel like you can come and play? Just build my life. We'll be fine. I'm going to give you just kind of opportunity. We can stand. I thought about, you know, making you run if you were like Abraham or maybe just walking forward out of the tent if you were Sarah. And if you want to do that, you can. Uh, it's, it's freedom in this place. This is an, the altar call. Um, and I like to do these even like every Sunday because I want to give you that opportunity to have a moment to reflect on the word and to let the spirit kind of do what he's doing. So I'm going to talk to the Abrahams first. You know, you, you love Jesus. Your relationship is strong. Your habits are good, and you're keeping the way as best you can by and with the help of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to do this. Okay, so I'm going to do this. If you feel like that's you, you feel like I'm an Abraham, I'm in a pretty good place, I feel like I'm able to pray for other people, if that's you, will you stand and come to the front and be ready to pray for some other people? Things are, it's, this is not pride. I know that's weird, like Sean. Okay, this is not pride. Just yet. Come up, yep. Come up and then face that way so people can come and pray with you. You're going to be my prayer team for today. But things are going pretty good. All right, so first, maybe you're a bit like Sarah. You've got the promise, but you just need some more faith. You're just in the tent, you want to help out, but you're not quite willing to give yourself fully over to Jesus' plan for your life. You're a Sarah. Because you're not sure how it's possible, you're not sure that it kind of scares you, but if you're a Sarah this morning, will you get up and come out of the tent this morning? These might be Abrahams who wasn't sure they were Abrahams. You're Sarah's. Will you come forward? I know this is like, Sean, what are you calling? Like, what we're going to do? I've got a prayer for everybody who sits outside too. So I got it covered. You're a Sarah. This would be a person who just wants to give more God, do some other stuff. Today, if you're like Lot and you are not fully convinced, you're not fully in a communicating relationship with Jesus, don't linger any longer. Get up lest you be swept away and come forward and get right with God if you think you're a lot. The last ones would be the sons-in-laws and, and Lot's wife. Have it your own way as a lifestyle in our modern culture will get you destroyed. Come and walk with Jesus. Come and walk with Jesus. Now, to be honest, it would be real awkward if I've got all these Abrahams and then everybody else stays out there. So, might just humor me and come get prayed for. But if you aren't comfortable, here's what I'm going to say. If you aren't comfortable coming forward this morning, maybe you're a first-time guest. I had wrote that already. That doesn't apply to anybody. Or maybe you're just checking Christianity out. It's cool. You are welcome here, and we love you. I'm saying it anyways. So you can invite your friends who are like, I don't know about church. Sean's going to get you. We love those people too. But I want to see some people come forward this morning. Use one more God. You want to get prayed for? Maybe you got a healing. I'm just going to open this up. Come forward. Get prayed for this morning by someone this morning.